Thank you, Pastor, very much. It's good to be with you, at least virtually. Um, these are strange times. Um, when I graduated from seminary back in 1992, I would have never thought that I would uh, have any semblance of any sort of television ministry. Well, this doesn't count as that, but uh, we are coming to you basically by means of uh, technology through live stream, and we're thankful for that. Hopefully everything is working. I do want to give a shout-out to so many of you who are not here today, particularly, I think, of uh, Gordon and Carol Blyke, who are unable to be here, but at the same time giving thanks for Gloria, who is uh, filling in so capably and wonderfully, and then others of you who uh, are absent. And yet, we all have this privilege of uh, being together in this wonderful fellowship that we have in Christ Jesus, and nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus And nothing can really separate us from each other when we are in Christ. For we're guaranteed, as we are in union with him, uh, to be in unity one with another as we trust in Jesus together. So I want to encourage you, wherever you are, and ask you to give your attention to God's word found in Joshua chapter 9. We come back to our study of the book of Joshua. We began this series uh, many weeks ago. And uh, I entitled it, We Go Now, uh, in part in homage to uh, our good friend Jimmy Mitchell, who used to use that phrase on every mission trip that he led us on when uh, we needed to move from one location to another, or when it was time just to stop work or to start work or whatever it happened to be, he would simply say, We Go Now. Well, there came a time for the Israelites after... God had rescued them from Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea and the wilderness wanderings that uh, there came a time when they were to enter the promised land. And uh, so, in a sense, it was as if God said, we go now across the Jordan into the land of Canaan to take the land that he had sworn to give to the descendants of Abraham. And so the children of Israel under Joshua now find themselves there in the land of promise. And, of course, uh, They're victorious over their enemy in the end, but there are, well, let's just say there are problems along the way. Everything didn't go smoothly. There was a foul up at Ai. And then, for example, we come today to chapter 9 to look at an incident that occurred. And so let's consider it together. I'm going to read the whole chapter because there's a story here and a lesson just in the reading of the scripture passage. And really, the sermon is more of an afterthought than it is the main focus. So let's read together God's Word, Joshua chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. As soon as all the kings who who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua 
in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them. And behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of the three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shepharoth, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them, but let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the leader said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. Joshua summoned them and he said to them, why did you deceive us, saying, we are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed. And some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now, behold. We are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua 
made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. So we'll ask the Lord to bless this reading of his word. For the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. There is a way which seems right to a man. It appears to be the right course, but in the end it leads to disaster, even to death. It is the Law Enforcement Appreciation Day, and my mind goes to a man that I had much respect for in my young days and still do. Fred Davis was a North Carolina Highway Patrol officer who served faithfully in that office. And uh, I was just out of high school when his young daughter, Leanne, took her life using his own service weapon one day. Fred and his dear wife were distraught. They were grieved beyond words. And Fred, still active with the highway patrol, determined after all had passed that he would simply drive his cruiser down Interstate 40 in the gorge there in western North Carolina and find an appropriate location to crash that automobile into a barrier or into a rock wall and end his life. But in the providence of God, God had a different plan for Fred than he had mapped out for himself. And as he drove in the gorge that day looking for the location, he saw a car broken down on the side of the road and two young girls beside it. It was a rainy day. And Fred's heart went out to them and he stopped and did his duty to help them. And they got in the car with him as he was going to take them to a safe place. And they began to talk with him about the faith that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Fred Davis, a man who had determined to end his own life, discovered that his life up until that point did end that day. And a new life began as he trusted in Jesus. He started an organization called Parents Against Teen Suicide, PATS. And he shared his story in many a place. And God has used him mightily to save life physically and to save lives by means of the gospel proclaim to others. Yes, indeed, there is a way which seems right to us, but if we follow it to its destination, we'll wind up somewhere that we don't intend. It is a truth that in this life, things don't always appear as they seem. There are, as they say, trick plays. We'll be wrapping up the college football season tomorrow. And, of course, those of us who have watched it have seen through the years various kinds of trick plays. Everything from the Statue of Liberty to the Punterooski and the Fumble-Rooski. And, uh, we also think of the hook and lateral and other ways that people have managed on one side to deceive those on the other to somehow get the ball into the end zone and wind up winning a game that seemed out of reach. Yes, indeed. We can be deceived in the course of life. And the Israelites find themselves deceived. As they, in the midst of conquering the land, going about doing it as God had commanded, find themselves on this occasion fooled. They are deceived by the people of Gibeon. 
Now, we've read the story, and you've heard me read it, and you don't need me to summarize it, but let me just say that the people of Gibeon had heard about who the Israelites were and what they were up to. And they had also heard about God's instruction to them about how that they were to enter the promised land and they were to conquer it and they were to destroy all that was before them and take possession of the land. And they believed. I mean, we need to give credit where credit is due. They heard this word and they believed the Israelites were going to do what God told them to do. And so they came up with this scheme, this plan, that they would... They would go to the Israelites and pretend like they had come from a place far away. And they went to great lengths to do that. Again, we've read it. Everything from making their clothes look old and worn and their sandals to wineskins, taking old ones, claiming that they had been new when they started, and even having this this crumbly bread, making it look like they had uh, come from far away. Well... The Israelites listened to them, and to their credit, they were sympathetic with these people in their plight. And you can credit them for doing what appears to be the right thing, being merciful to them, and believing them, and saying, well, we won't bother you. But of course, verse 14 is the key to this whole matter, is it not? So the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Literally, they did not seek the mouth of the Lord, is the way that it reads in the original. And therein lies the problem. They did not seek the Lord. They determined to assess matters based upon its appearance. There is a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof leads to death. And so... Some lessons for us in this as we look at it. First of all, don't ever underestimate the deceptive creativity of the human imagination. It is a truth that we still can be deceived, even in our Christian life, as we trust in the Lord Jesus, knowing that he is our Savior. Yet having a secure eternity means that in the meantime, we need to trust him for our day-to-day decisions both small and great. And the heart of man has fallen into sin. Our hearts can deceive us easily. And we find that people in this fallen state can be awfully creative in the ways that they go about deceiving us. And so many things come to mind as I think about this. From a young man who once uh, told me that he bought a Rolex watch on the street of New York City. And he was awfully proud of his purchase. And I was trying to tell him that it wasn't a real Rolex watch. He said, well, it is. And finally I said, well, what kind of battery does it take? And he started to tell me. And then he realized Rolex batteries or Rolex watches don't take batteries. We can easily be deceived. In Genesis chapter 6, we read about that very chaotic time that immediately preceded Noah's flood. When it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Think about that. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We find that those who chart a course of life that excludes the Lord 
those who are not objects of God's saving, redeeming, and sanctifying grace are in the position of being awfully creative and wise in their own eyes. And yet, plotting a course that is characterized only by evil and wickedness. Only the work of the Lord in our hearts and lives can redeem us from such things. Education in and of itself is not the answer to life's ills. We can educate the lost, but remember, we can also succeed in creating smarter criminals. We all are in need of God's grace. The Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 2, say, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You see that? Again, there's a way that appears to be right, and even every way is right in our own eyes. If we are the measure of success, then everything looks to be successful when we undertake it. But God judges matters in a different way. And finally, under this point, remember the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Who can understand it? So much for the notion of following your heart. The moral of seemingly every Disney cartoon, you know. Just follow your heart. Well, if the heart is unredeemed, we're talking about something that can deceive us. Because we are very creative in this state of fallenness and can be deceptively creative. So the Israelites fail to consider the ability of people around them to be creative in deception. They judged merely on the appearance of the people who came to them. After all, the Gibeonites looked like the genuine article. They looked like what they were actually describing. They looked like a Rolex watch, but they were not what they appeared to be. It's also important for us to consider that the enemy will work by peaceful means when it suits his purpose. Perhaps the Israelites were, uh, were deceived because these people didn't come at them with weapons. Maybe they were thinking if, uh, if these people were or generally, genuinely, their, their enemies, they would appear to be such. They would have come at them with uh, spears, bows and arrows, other weapons like that. But they didn't. They came under the guise of peace. Well, remember back in Genesis chapter 3, when man is first confronted with evil, how that evil disguises itself. Satan disguises himself. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, no. And I now realize if, if, if a snake uh, showed up at our doorstep tomorrow and started talking to us, we probably wouldn't think very much of it. But this is before the fall. There was no need to be afraid of serpents at that time. And so when Satan, having disguised himself as a serpent, begins to speak, he's, he's not confronting them. He doesn't try to strike out at them or at the woman. He simply poses a question, planting the seed or the notion 
that there's cause to doubt God's word. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. God never said anything like that. He said you can eat of every tree in the garden except the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan twists it. But he comes in a, in a peaceful pretense. Look at the disaster that results. And, of course, we think in the New Testament of how Judas, when he betrays the Lord Jesus, doesn't come up and grab him and throw him in front of the Jewish or Roman authorities. He betrayed him with a kiss. He came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. It doesn't seem to be anything out of sorts there. It seems to be a show of respect. And yet that's the signal that Judas had worked out with the Jewish authorities by which he would identify Jesus in the darkness. So we need to be wary. We need to be discerning. We need to learn to discern. We need to be knowledgeable of God's word and evaluate people and ideas, philosophies, and all manner of other things by use of God's word. Having a right knowledge of the things of God will be of more value to us than all of the academic degrees that we could attain on earth lest we be fooled. And remember, Paul warns in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Now listen, I could settle in right here and preach a whole sermon. Talking about ways that we can be deceived, and people are being deceived today. Satan disguising himself as an angel of light, and those who do his bidding also disguise themselves. Listen, Satan's not going to show up in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns sticking out of his head. He will give every indication that he is something or someone good. And the people who can wreak the most devastation in your life will appear to be good people will appear to be those who are interested in your own welfare and your own well-being, but lead you astray. And in this information age, when everything from this live stream service is available to you to everything else imaginable, we need to be careful. There are people out there now who are vying for your attention, who appear to have everything together. I was uh, watching a video not long ago of a young man who was uh, talking about all the supposed contradictions in the Bible. And he was just going on and on about that. And uh, there are easy responses to all the things that he uh, supposedly was, uh, was bringing to light. But I'm thinking a lot of people were deceived and are deceived by his videos online. Be careful. Be discerning. God's people fail to discern most importantly, they fail to seek the Lord. By failing to seek the Lord, they open themselves up to this game of deception, this trick play. And then, ultimately, of course, disregarding God's instructions, in fact, disregarding God in general, is always wrong and results in consequences. First of all, God had told them not to make a covenant or treaty with any of the people around them. By failing to discern that the Gibeonites were actually locals instead of those far away, they ended up doing the very thing that God told them not to do. And there were consequences for their actions. But 
specifically by failing to seek the Lord's counsel, by failing to seek his mouth, they, they wound up in this trouble. The Lord Jesus was clear when he told his disciples, and he tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John fourteen fifteen. The Lord gives us his word. It's not an exercise in futility on his part. He has done it because he loves us, because we need instructions, and we need to seek him. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. He said to Saul, there's a lesson there for all of us. When we seek to go our own way, when we determine to follow our own path and reject that of the Lord's, we're guilty just as if we had committed some sort of witchcraft or divination or acting presumptuously, you know, presuming to know what's right. The Israelites thought they had this thing all in hand. You know, they asked the right question. They did an investigation. Now, wait a minute. Where are you from? And. Why are you coming to us? And the Gibeonites had ready answers for that. And the Israelites were taken in. And so, because they acted presumptuously, they found themselves in a predicament. But then I want to mention one other thing as we close. And that is, in spite of all of this, the Gibeonites really wound up experiencing God's grace in a, in a way, if you really think about it. First of all, they are not destroyed. Now, one could argue that because they had been deceptive, that the Israelites were not obligated to keep their word to them. And yet, Joshua realized the importance of keeping the covenant that had been made. And he would be proven right centuries later. For it was in the time of Saul that the Gibeonites were attacked. Saul decided that they should be killed. And because of his actions, because of a going back on the covenant that had been made under Joshua, there was a severe famine in the land. For three years they experienced drought. And David, who by that time had become leader, sought the Lord to ask what was going on. And it turns out that because Israel had dishonored the covenant, had gone after the Gibeonites, the Lord inflicted them with famine. And so David made amends. So just because they made the covenant under false pretenses didn't give them the option of uh, getting out of it. That's probably why the Israelites murmured against their leaders. They thought, well, we don't have to keep this commitment because after all, they were deceptive to us. They kept it. <laughs> I remember when I was a little boy, and I do not remember what point of trivia was at issue at the time. But I remember that I was so certain of, uh, of being right about a matter, and my daddy was so certain about being right. We were disagreeing over some issue, and I was, I was awfully young. I remember telling him, I said, uh, I'll bet you a dollar that I'm right. Now, again, this is so important, I don't even remember now what it was that we were arguing about. Well, my dad, who never gambled and does not, took me up on it. Well, I proved to be right. And Daddy, even though he didn't believe in gambling, because he had taken me up on it when I was proven right, he gave me a dollar. 
I didn't sleep well that night, and I think it took me a couple of nights. But I remember going up to him at one point, pulling my little wallet out of my pocket and giving him his dollar back. I just felt guilty about that. You know, Daddy kept his word. And that said a lot to me, even though it was uh, on an issue that involved involved something we shouldn't be engaged in. That's sort of where the Israelites found themselves. They had been deceived, but they had given their word. In the meantime, the Gibeonites were made slaves. They cut wood. And drew water. But notice how the chapter ends. It says that they did these things for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Now give them credit. They believed what God said when God had declared that the Israelites would inherit the land. And they believed that the Israelites were going to do what God said in destroying everyone who lived in the land. They took God at his word. That much they got right. Their deception was wrong. But God, in his grace, gave them a place of service near to the altar of the Lord. No other people in the land had that privilege save the Israelites themselves. So it's another testimony to the graciousness of God. We who find ourselves in this condition of sin benefit, every one of us, from the graciousness of God and from his love. Even though we deserve to be cut off and destroyed, yet we find ourselves, by his grace, brought near to him. That we, who, through faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, that altar of God to which all other altars point is the means by which we have fellowship with him. It is through no good work of our own that we find ourselves counted as God's household today. It is entirely because of his grace and mercy. And so we give praise and thanks to our Lord God. I don't know what path you're on today. I don't know what route you've chosen. But be discerning and know that there is a way which can seem right to you. By every appearance, it looks right to you. But if it's not in harmony with the word and the will of God, I can assure you, you will not wind up in a good place. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no other. That's God's way. It's a glorious way. And it leads home to Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise and thank you for your unchanging word and for your grace that is amazing and wondrous. Father, we would find ourselves among those for whom Christ died. Even while we were your enemies, Christ died for us. And so, Lord, give us grace that we'll be amazed every day and throughout the day, astounded at your mercy and grace. But, Lord, give us discernment 
Give to us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that we may seek you in all matters rather than presume to know the right thing. That we would not make ourselves the judge of all, but that we might submit to you who alone is the judge of all. And so we make our prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. One of my favorite hymns as we conclude, Standing on the Promises. And again, if you're able and you want to, wherever you are, let's stand up and sing this wonderful hymn. And now may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen.